The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to uh, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 20. Um, we got a lot to cover today, but I don't think it'll take a lot of time. And uh, I, I know like if, like, man, I just, just got to get to this game, right? Like, it's a critical time. Uh, for, for our city to see what's going to happen this afternoon. Uh, but I think, I think we're in good hands. And one of the reasons I think we're in good hands is because we, we have a quarterback, man. Like, he, he's, he's amazing. Like, Patrick Mahomes is amazing. And if you watch him, one of the things that makes him incredible is that he sees a moment and there's no hesitation for him. Like, he capitalizes on it and he moves quickly. And that's a very important thing to do. I, you know, when you're, I've spent a lot of time coaching uh, some of my kids in basketball. And, uh, it, it, you know, I've got Caitlin right now. And me and a friend of mine, we, we coach the team. And you, one of the things that's difficult is to get the, the girls, like, to see when somebody's open, you got to pass. Like, you can't. You can't hesitate. As soon as you see it, you got to, if you hesitate just for a moment and you can see the kids, man, they'll be coming down the court, they'll look up, their eyes will get big and they won't do anything and then it goes away and then they get the ball stolen from them. <laughs> and so you see a lot of that uh, happening and it's because there's hesitation. There's not a capitalization on the moment. And so you have to learn to capitalize on the moment or it goes right by. And so today, as we look at our text, Paul talks a lot about um, hesitation. You'll see that. And I think there's some important takeaways for us. This was kind of a, a hard chapter to wrestle through is, man, I just wrestle and dig through it and look at it and study and, and dive deeper and pray over it. And it's like, man, I told Shay the other day, I was like, I don't know, man. I don't think there's anything in this chapter. Uh, and of course, I was being uh, facetious, but um, the, the, like the, it was just hard to kind of see what the Lord wanted me to say. And finally, I think He gave me some things, and and I and I hope they're encouraging for you today. But let's dive right in and remember, like what we where we left off is there was a riot that broke out um, in the city of Ephesus because this guy Demetrius, um, people were turning to the Lord. And he was involved in making these little silver shrines to their goddess. And he was kind of like the leader of a, of a trader's guild. And, and he's just showing them all, hey, man, this is impacting our, our bottom line, the money we're making. And so he got a riot. He got the people all stirred up. And then finally, the city clerk gets them all calmed back down. They dismissed. Um, and, and we pick up right there. And Luke tells us when the uproar, verse 1 of chapter 20, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye, and he set out for Macedonia. He had to get out of there uh, because of how hostile it was. And he traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. This just keeps happening in Paul's life, man. People are wanting to kill him. And it says he was accompanied <clears throat> by Sopater, uh, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Th Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. 
Some bad dudes right there, man. (laughs) So he says, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven days. So Lucas is kind of telling us, man, this is how the journey was taking place as we were moving through the area and the kingdom was rolling out. Here's some of the bros that went along on the journey and what was happening uh, around Paul. And so Paul gets into the area And there's a pretty cool story that happens here. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And so we see that the early disciples on the first day of the week, sometimes people get in these big debates about the Sabbath. I'm not taking a lot of time to teach on that today, but you see the early church, they met on the first day of the week. It's a lot of the reason why we continue to meet on the first day of the week on Sunday ourselves. And it says that Paul, he comes in, he's he's there on a, a, a stopover, and it says Paul spoke to them. And because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. All right? So if I go past 11.15, just get over it, man. Midnight, it says. There were many lamps. (laughs) I fear I may lose some of you right here. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Whoa. When he was sound asleep, for those of you who like to take a little cat nap, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. And Paul went down and he threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again. And what did they do? They broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So we got this miraculous event. This kid falls to his, his death and, and just like The Lord used Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. The Lord uses Paul and and brings him back to life. And so Luke, many keeps on going. He's given us a lot before we get into this part about Paul's going to get to share his testimony uh, with some very influential people. And and Luke is sort of setting up this transition. And it says, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed to Asus where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. And when he met us at Asus, we took him aboard and we went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. And Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. For he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And so he bypasses Ephesus. He knows if he stops there, it's going to take him too long. But he sends for the elders uh, in Ephesus. And and when they arrived, it says, he said to them. Now, here, here we go. We get into some of the meat now. You know how I have lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything 
that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now he says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of, you, uh, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, brought, which he bought with his own blood. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to just stop right there and throw this little nugget out at you. It says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You know that the, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, and we often talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people get confused. You say, Jesus is God. And they say, well, I thought Jesus was the Son of God. Well, they're, they're the same but different. Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. And one of the ways we can see that the Bible teaches that is right here that it says that, um, that it's the church that God bought with his own blood. And so they're referring to God buying the church with his blood. And the fact is that, um, that one, God is spiritual, cannot bleed. And so Jesus is the one who shed his blood and purchased the church for himself. And so we see a reference to uh, the triune God when we see here that it the church was purchased by the blood of God. And so he goes on to say, I know that after I leave, now watch this, he says, I know he's telling them this. He's, he's meeting with these leaders in the church, and he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was this statement, was his statement that they would never see his face again then they accompanied him to the ship. And so we have all of this stuff going on as Paul is moving through the area and making his way and meeting with people that he had um, discipled up in the ways of the Lord. And he's giving them uh, some, he's just like giving them some really like 
guides sort of some anchors to hold on to and things to think about as he's moving on to continue the work the Lord has called him to. And so I'm going to make a few observations here about how we've been talking in this whole series, how the kingdom moves, um, how it moves in and around and through us, and God allows things um, to happen here on the planet through his people, through people who are in the kingdom. And so as we come into the kingdom through a saving relationship with Christ, and we come to an understanding of, 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 of Christ and the gospel and all its grace and truth, as the book of Colossians says, and our eyes are open spiritually, and we begin to walk by faith and not by sight, we begin to see that the kingdom moves, okay? And so the kingdom has moved since Jesus rose from the dead. The kingdom has started to move among people in a very powerful way. And that's what we've been studying this entire year, last year, is we, we just dove into Acts and we're looking at that. How does the kingdom move? And even to today, the kingdom moves among his people. And so as the kingdom moves, there are some observations from this text that I want to make to help you to ensure that the kingdom is moving in your life. Like there ought to be things that are happening in and around through, and through you where you see the kingdom moving. And so here's the first observation. Kingdom people are encouragers, okay? Um, in the opening verse, Luke highlights how encouraging Paul is. Within the first few verses, he's just talking about Paul goes here and he's encouraging and he goes out there and all he's doing is just encouraging. And, and what I take away from that is as the people of the kingdom, we all need encouragement. Like, <laughs> I need to be encouraged, man. Uh, and, and, and the Lord will use some of you from time to time to say something to me that will just really encourage me. It'll just lift my spirits. And I, um, from time to time, will feel prompted to call someone and encourage them. And, and here's what I want us to see in this, is that it's easy to miss moments of encouragement. In other words, the Lord may impress upon your heart that you are to call a, a brother or sister in Christ or someone that he just sort of impresses upon your heart to give them a call. You don't even know why you're giving them a call. And you give them a call and all of a sudden you find out that you're encouraging them. You're saying a kind word to them. And it's the very thing that they needed to hear in that moment of time to keep them um, motivated and moving forward during a very difficult time they may be, may be facing in their lives. It was amazing to me just to hear uh, about a week or so ago, the Lord uh, brought one of you to my mind and I, I, I called them and and I, I just started to encourage them. I said, I want you to know I was thinking about you, and I've been praying for you, and, and just want to check and see how you're doing. And as I talked to this person, um, we, we talked on the phone for, you know, half an hour, and um, I know the person was extremely encouraged to know that I was thinking about them, and I cared for them. But here's, here's the thing, <laughs> is I hung up the phone, and I was full of life because I was encouraging, and I didn't see that part coming. And so sometimes it's so difficult for us to take the time to do those things because we're so focused on all of the things that we feel like we need to achieve, all of the things that we feel like we need to get done before we go to bed at night. We've got a task list, and we're just moving through trying to get stuff done. And the, the, like when we really look at all the stuff, like if we really just look at it, if you look at most of your life, I was thinking about this this morning um, in the kitchen. I don't know why, but I was thinking about this. Most of the stuff that we do, like we're going to get really excited about this game. I'm fired up about it. I want to I watch it. 
But I'm telling you, when I die, it's not going to matter. Like when, when I'm, you know, in a, in a casket in, in the front of a church and somebody's standing up on a platform like this preaching um, about the gospel, what I did to invest in that game really isn't going to matter. What, what I have to do to clean out my garage and clean up my basement. Lord, I need to clean my basement. It really doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things in eternity. Yeah, it's going to make me feel better. I'm going to get some relief about it, and it needs to be done. It needs to be managed well. But what I want us to see is that sometimes all of these little things that really don't matter keep us from the things that do. Because I believe that even in that phone call that I made uh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe there was something eternal that happened there. I believe it real spiritual encouragement happened. And so kingdom people, they engage in that. And what I want us to be is a, a, a church um, that is driven by truth and engaged in, engage, uh, in encouragement. So when you, when, you, when you feel a prompting, like when you think somebody just rolls across your mind and you're thinking about them and you think, maybe I should call them, you should. Like you should just stop and make, either get on the top of your to-do list to make that call so that you won't forget about it or call them right there in that moment in time because I really do believe the Holy Spirit uses those moments uh, to uh, lead us. And so Paul is going about the region, man. He's meeting with as many people as he can and he's encouraging them. And so I want to encourage you. I want, I want to encourage you to be an encourager. And I, I want you to know like when I say, man, I need encouragement. And, and I, I, you know, who doesn't love to get a card or, or get an email? I, I love that kind of, uh, of encouragement um, to say, hey, you know, bro, you're doing a good job. That's not, you know what encourages me the most um, is when I watch you guys get movement. When I see the kingdom moving in your life and see that the Lord is, is doing stuff and you share with me what the Lord is doing in you, I am incredibly encouraged. And so I, I, I want to encourage you to, uh, to continue uh, to do that. I, I recently, um, Christine Deese, she shared her story uh, with me and, and um, so several pages that she had written down and, and read it. I was encouraged to read your story, Christine. It, it encouraged me to hear how you were processing through some of the difficult times that you've uh, faced. And so I want to encourage you to continue to um, share, share your story and encourage all of you to share uh, with each other and keep each other encouraged. Here's the second thing I see. Kingdom people hunger for spiritual insight. Like kingdom people have a spiritual appetite. It's easy to read this second part of the text when we talked about um, uh, Eutychus. Is that, uh, and, and some people say, well, what, how did he get that name, Eutychus? What did they say? Well, Eutychus too, if you fell out a window. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let me stick to preaching, not co comedy, right? Okay, so, it, uh, so like he, here, here's... It, it, it seems on the surface that the takeaway is that Paul talked too long. Like he just preached too long. If you preach so long that, that a guy falls asleep and falls to his death, that's, that's just too long. And so it's a warning to a preacher not to preach too long. But that's not the takeaway. The takeaway, uh, one, for one, this, this kid was probably somewhere between the ages of 8 and 14, and his parents just had him along uh, for the experience. But the takeaway is that the people didn't get, like, they didn't get sleepy. The kid did. It was, it was hot in the room. 
and they were in this upper room, so we, we understand physiologically what happened to him, but the people had an appetite for kingdom truth, and they took advantage of this brief amount of time that they had with pro- the greatest theologian outside of Jesus that ever walked the planet. And they were like, man, we, we only have 24 hours with this guy. And what's fascinating is that the guy, if you read through the journey, man, I was reading through that. I was like, geez, man, that's exhausting, this journey they're on. But he stays up with them, and he's speaking into the night. And it wasn't just a monologue, like a sermon like I'm doing right now. There was, there was questions going on. They were able to ask questions of him, and they were just hungry for spiritual things. And even after this experience, this accident happened uh, with the boy falling and then getting healed, they go back upstairs, they break bread, and they just keep talking all night until the sun comes up. And so what I see is that... Um, that, that kingdom people hunger for spiritual things. And if you don't have an appetite for spiritual things, you probably need to change your diet. Like, you, I have to be careful sometimes, man. I, get, I can get into a discussion with somebody uh, about spiritual stuff, and, and I can just go on and on. And, and, and when I get with a, a brother or sister who has a spiritual appetite, and we're just bouncing back and forth, man, you can lose a couple of hours just, just like that. And, and I think that that's the appetite that we need to understand. Man, ki- people who are really experiencing movement in the kingdom, they have an appetite for spiritual things. So how do we have an appetite for spiritual things? You, you have to develop a taste for it. You know, um, young people, a lot of young people, they, don't, they, they, they take a drink of coffee and they don't like coffee. Okay, but what, what, if you remember back, you developed and acquired a taste for coffee as you drank it. The word is the same way. Sometimes you read the word and you're like, huh, man, I don't know if I can. You got to keep reading it, man. You got to keep consuming it. You got to keep tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and allowing that truth to enter into your life. And the more you chew on the truth of the word, the more your appetite will grow and the more you'll want to talk with others and share insights that you have had yourself and here are the insights that they're having, and those things will encourage you. And so kingdom people hunger for spiritual insight. Here's the third um, takeaway. Kingdom people share what is helpful. Like kingdom people don't hesitate when it comes to share. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, he says um, that, he says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And this is what I want you to key in on. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do we see is we see repent and believe. And and so in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, we see Jesus says the time has come like a, it is a new kind of thing coming when he uses that word time there. It's not the word chronos, it's the word kairos. He says the time has come, repent and believe. And a lot of times in the kingdom what we do is we learn how to repent, but we don't learn how to believe. And so the same things keep beating us up. And what we see here is that kingdom people learn how to share what is helpful with one another and work each other through moments so that they can repent about things in their lives and believe that there's freedom in it and begin to walk that freedom out and experience movement in their lives as they're walking in obedience. Look at verse 27. This is very important. Verse 27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you 
the whole will of God. There was no hesitation then, Paul, that he proclaimed to these people the entire will of God. Now, the word hesitate comes from the Greek word hypostello, and it means to withdraw out of timidity and fear to conceal what you believe. That is the number one crime that the American church is facing right now. We conceal what we believe because we're afraid that we shouldn't talk about religious things with other people whenever the scripture tells us that Paul had no hesitation about it. Yet the enemy has got us in this position where we have extreme hesitation about it. We're just so afraid that we're going to offend somebody that we never talk about truth. And that's not the way of the kingdom. Like that's the way of, that's the way of being politically corrected, the way of the world. And might, need I remind you, you are not a citizen of the world. If you know Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. And he calls you to obedience to do what? To fulfill the great commission and share what is helpful with others. Now, does that mean that when, uh, you know, some one day a week, you should go out on the corner and with a loud uh, megaphone or something, just start screaming out truth? No, it means that there are moments throughout the day that the Lord will carve out through the power of the Holy Spirit an opportunity for you to share what is helpful with others, for you to share truth with them. And what we have to do is we have to quit hesitating in those moments because when we hesitate in those moments, they go by. Just like when the child that's trying to learn to play basketball looks up and sees somebody open, he holds on to the ball, he doesn't pass it, and then there's a turnover and we fumble it into the hands of the enemy. And the truth never gets moved. Listen, what we have to do is we have to realize in this moment, I have the ball of truth and there's somebody that is open to the truth. They need to receive that truth to me, from me and I need not hesitate and, and be um, paralyzed and withdraw in timidity and fear. Like you, you, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because many of you will say, even when, when we begin to talk about, I've talked to many of you about spiritual things and I'm, I, you've said things like, wow, I, I, I just don't know if they're open to it. The truth of the matter is, I don't know if you're open to it. You're scared. You're scared to take advantage of a moment when the Lord carves it out. And what I want you to hear is that I want to encourage you, don't hesitate. There is freedom in release of that truth, both for you and for the recipient. So don't hold on to a moment when the Lord is opening a door. Be like Paul. Don't hesitate to share what is helpful. If we allow fear to control us, here's the, the scary part. We will not be innocent. Watch what Paul says in verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. What does that mean? It means that if we do hesitate, that we're not innocent of having the blood of people on our hands. Like one of the reasons I'm so committed to teaching the truth of the word and going verse by verse and not trying to water it down and just giving you what it is, is I don't want your blood on my hands. Like, like the, 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 the scripture is very clear if we look at the um, prophets of, of um, 
of, of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It talks a lot about the shepherd's responsibility to um, shepherd the flock with truth. That the sheep are lean and sickly because the shepherd is holding on to all of the things in the kingdom for himself and he's just consuming even the material stuff on himself while the sheep are sick. And, and, and so there's a reproval going on there. He said, well, that's, that's for the pastor. <laughs> no, that's for us all. Like we're all prophets, priests, and kings. Like, like we look in the Old Testament and what we see is, um, we see that there are three roles in the Old Testament. You've got the prophet who is communicating the word of God. You have the priest who is exercising and representing the people before God. And you have the king who is leading them as a government. And so we have these offices. Sometimes you would have a king that would prophesy, but a prophet was a prophet, a king was a king, and a priest was a priest. When we get to Jesus, all of them are merged. He's prophet, priest, and king. Now what happens when Jesus dies on the cross of Calvary? He comes back to life. Why? So that he sends back the third person of the Trinity. To do what? To come to dwell in the life of the believer. He no longer dwells in the Ark of the Covenant, and he no longer dwells in the temple. He now dwells in my heart as a believer, and so I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so Jesus is in me, therefore I have a prophet role, I have a priestly role, and I have a royal role. That's why we're called a royal priesthood. To do what? To be the kind of people that share truth and what is helpful with others. And as we do that, we see that we are um, being obedient to what the gospel calls us to do in a moment of time where the Holy Spirit opens it up. We step into that in obedience. The kingdom gets movement, and we keep ourselves innocent of the blood of other people. If we keep our mouths shut, we're not innocent. Amen. See, why would I, why would I put you in that position? Because the enemy has us in a place of fear and timidity where we won't step into obedience. And so we need to be shook up a little bit with some truth and go, I'm not, I'm not operating there anymore. When I see a moment that the Lord has clearly opened up that I need to step in and share truth with someone who I'm close to, I need to step in that moment and share what is helpful. And here's, here's another takeaway before we get to the big idea. This is an important part about sharing what is helpful. It's kingdom people don't distort the truth, okay? He says that savage wolves from without and from within will distort why to draw away disciples. So <laughs> sometimes we look and somebody teaches something false and we're scratching our heads. I do. I'm like, how could a person do that? How, how could a person take the word and begin to distort it and lead people away in that? I don't get that. How could that happen? But it should not surprise us because Paul here in the early church when things were just beginning, he's saying, man, as soon as I leave, there are going to be people on the outside and then people even from your own number. And he's telling these elders this, that are going to rise up and distort what I've taught you as truth and try to lead disciples astray on their own. And so we have to understand um, that there will always be savage wolves that are trying to distort the truth and draw people away. They may even draw, try to draw us away. Again, why is it important for us to be in the word? How would you recognize a wolf if you didn't know a wolf was saying something contrary to the word? As a wolf is always presented in the scripture, these kind of wolves that will present themselves um, in lamb's clothing. Even the enemy, the devil himself, is, is charged as one who presents himself as an angel of light. He looks good, but he is not. 
because he distorts the truth. So what are we called to do? We're called to guard ourselves. How do you guard yourself from a savage wolf? Well, you'd better know the word. You'd better have a spiritual appetite. You'd better be in there and know when a wolf is teaching something that is distorting the, the truth. And then he says to guard others. And so there's a responsibility for us not only to guard ourselves, but to guard others around us. And what does Paul say that he did? He says that he prayed, he wept, and he warned. And I think that's kind of needs to be our heart, is that there are times in our lives where we pray over people, we weep over people, and, and we warn them uh, when it, we're called to share something that is helpful. And so we need more of this kind of praying, weeping, and warning to see real kingdom movement in the world. And that brings us to the big idea of, of the talk, is that we need to be people who live to give, not get. Now, what did Paul say? He said, um, however, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul felt that what he put his life into was more important than what he got out of it. And, and, and when we look at that, we go, man, he valued his life. He said, man, the value of my life is, and the value of any of our lives, I believe this to be true, it can only be measured by the value we have of, of the gospel. And that's why I was talking about a lot of the things that we do, that we enjoy, that aren't really wrong, they don't have anything to do with the gospel. And we need to be open to rearranging our schedule so that movement can happen in the kingdom the way the Lord wants it to move in our lives. Things in the kingdom are always upside down. Always. They're always upside down. You want to find your life? What do you do? Lose it. You want to be first? What do you do? Be last. You, you want to receive? Be a giver. Okay? And we're not talking about monetary. Monetary, you know, obviously financial, financially that would carry the same weight. But I'm talking about giving of your life. Like just to be a giver of your life and don't hesitate to see the moments where the kingdom is trying to break out. Step into those moments. Let the Lord have his way and you'll be amazed at how the kingdom starts to move. And he says, remember what Jesus said. It is more blessed to live as a giver than it is to live as a receiver. And so what, what do we learn? We, we are here for each other. And so what, what we want to be is we want to be people who live without hesitation. And so this morning, very interestingly, we're going to do a baptism. And so one of, one of our peeps, man, one of our students is going to share a testimony about how they were hesitating. And, and they, like, we didn't get together and like my sermon was done and I saw the video, okay? But I thought it was very powerful how, and I think a lot of you probably are here, is that hesitation will paralyze you, but when you will step forward and quit hesitating, you will experience freedom in your life. So let's watch um, Ashley's testimony. Hi, my name's Ashley Fields and today I'm getting baptized and it's been something I've been thinking about for a while. It's been on my mind for quite a few months, but and I kind of felt like the Lord was leading me in that direction, but it wasn't really something I was all in with yet and I wasn't really wanting to and then um, the past couple months it had been on my mind a lot and 
I started going to youth group just in the past couple months and the second night I was there, Mama Coop had us, gave all the girls a piece of paper and told us to write down um, like a battle we were going through or something we needed to pray about and get over and I wrote down being afraid to talk about getting baptized not wanting to do it. And she wanted us to find a verse and multiple verses to go with it. And so one that I found was Acts 22:16, and Ananias says to Paul, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And that's something that kind of hit me because I had been making excuses of like, wait till you're older, wait for this, wait for, wait for all these reasons. And so when I read that, I was like, wow, like, what am I actually waiting for? So that night I actually pulled Shay aside and I was able to talk to him about it. And it was the first time I really talked to anybody about getting baptized. And um, since then it kind of just kept building on that and now today I'm actually here and I'm done waiting and I'm so excited for what's next. Man, that video guy got me <clears throat> choked up a little bit. <clears throat> I am so excited to be baptizing Ashley today uh, when she came and talked to me uh, that evening after youth group, like it was just so authentic. And like I could see um, what was like little Ashley and now stepping into like young lady Ashley and taking this super important step in her faith journey, publicly professing uh, Jesus as savior is so cool. I'm so proud of you, Ashley. So. Um, with that, uh, do you profess before your uh, spiritual family this morning that you believe that Jesus has died for your sin, um, that he is your source of salvation, uh, and do you profess him before your brothers and sisters as Savior? Yes. You do? All right. Well, with that, it is my honor and my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So the cool thing is um, you could see even as Ashley worked us through letting go of the ha hesitation, you could see the joy on her face as she talked about it. And that's what I'm trying to say is that these moments are happening every day in our lives. For some of us, it may be happening around baptism, that we're hesitating on that. Um, but even after we make these decisions to give our lives to Jesus, we may be hesitating on saying, man, I want to be saved. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. We may be hesitating on that. But what happens is if we will learn to let go of that, and then the Lord asks us to get baptized, and we'll let go of that, and we'll just quit hesitating, then what happens is we start getting all these assists in the kingdom and the ball keeps moving and we're never turning things over and we're, we're, we're beginning to realize, man, this is pretty fun. Like it's, it's no fun to be in a situation where the ball is stolen from you all the time. Like it's no fun. It's no fun to be on a team where the ball is just stolen all the time. And I remind you in John chapter 10, Jesus taught us about the thief. He comes to steal he comes to kill. He comes to destroy. And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we navigate through that? Well, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They know it and they follow. And so when Jesus says something, 
We don't hesitate. We just do. And if we will start living that way, then the kingdom will start rolling out of our lives in this very fluid way. And we will be amazed by the move of the Lord. And so as we land um, the plane here on this, what are you hesitating about today? What if, what's been tripping you up and you just keep getting hung up in the same spot because you're holding on to it and the, it's time to quit hesitating, let go, and make a decision? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.